0: like that that I think totally break down this argument that I think the big argument that people like to have about 30 Rock or like their big sort of defense is like it's satirical it's not serious it's like it's actually it's actually punching punching up but those little small details of things where like you know they have the thing about the Jews or like they have something about black people don't want to work hard or something those like little small parts of the dialogue with and that's throughout all seven seasons i think that is what totally dismantles like that argument Happy New Year, everyone. This is Alex. And this is M. The break is officially over, and we'd like to welcome everyone back for the latest episode of The Good, the Bad, the Basic. This is the podcast for TV lovers, movie buffs, and binge watchers of all ages. On this podcast, we'll be discussing what we love, what we hate, and what was just a bit problematic about the TV and movies that we're addicted to. And then do a little bit of rewriting where necessary. For much more exclusive content, become a show producer on Patreon and get access to after-the-episode bonuses, curated playlists, movie reviews, music video retrospectives, and so much more. Join the GBB family at patreon.com Today we'll be discussing NBC's satirical sitcom 30 Rock. 30 Rock was a groundbreaking behind-the-scenes farce created by Saturday Night Live alum Tina Fey and based loosely on her experiences as a writer for SNL. 30 Rock very quickly became and remains a large part of the topography of modern television and is considered by many to be something of a blueprint for satire. But how did the show, created by a wealthy white Gen Xer, actually measure up with two Black women millennials? Stay tuned! (laughs) All right, everyone, let's jump in really quickly with some info on 30 rock it is a sitcom a satire a farce it was created by tina faye and it aired from october 11 2006 to january 31st 2013 it lasted seven seasons and a whopping 138 episodes the show stars tina faye as liz lemon Tracy morgan as Tracy jordan jane kukowski as jenna maroney jack mcbrayer as kenneth parcel scott adsit as pete Hornsberger, alec baldwin as jack donaghy keith powell as james Tufer spurlock and katrina bowden as siri xerox So there you have it. That's all the information on the show. So let's jump right in. We're going to do this episode similar to our Malcolm in the Middle episode because this is a a sitcom and it lasted so many seasons. We're going to focus more on character breakdowns than individual seasons because every episode is kind of standalone. Exactly. Um, So, yeah, 30 Rock. 30 Rock is like a juggernaut white people really 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 love this show (laughs) oh my god so much i remember when you suggested that we review this show and i'm like i haven't seen a single episode of 30 rock but i don't know a single white person who didn't watch this show (laughs) and i thought (laughs) and i was like maybe and and i thought maybe like it was just me like it was a thing that like because I had seen like a couple episodes and I was like, yeah, this isn't for me. Um, and I thought maybe it was just like a me thing. But over the holiday break, um, I was sitting with, you know, another, you know, some other black women and and uh, black LGBTQ people um, and then some other LGBTQ, LGBTQ people. And we all sort of came to the same conclusion of like, yeah, this show is a, it's a no. <laughs> yeah, I don't think the show truly realized and i i you know we talk about timing a lot i feel like if this show had come out even even as as little as maybe five years later people would have gone up about how overwhelmingly white the show is not just in its casting but in like its subject matters <laughs> right and it's subject matters in the writing it's it's all there um it's funny so like you say that like um like y- Like, our, our like, really, I think it's becoming, like, our famous declaration now. Uh, We talked about how, like, uh, Julie Plec hates Black people. Um, Yes. And Amy Sherman, Amy Sherman Palladino also hates Black people. Tina Fey also hates Black people. Hard agree. Hard. (laughs) And you know what? I only had to watch, I literally didn't even have to watch a full season for that to become very... Like overwhelmingly clear to me. <laughs> just like, I'm just like, yeah, like Tina Fey just like hates black people. That's interesting. <laughs> but like, but, I you feel know like what that's makes her different? You know what makes her so different than I think a Julie Pleck or an Amy Sherman Palladino, like a uh, uh, Julie Pleck who kind of uses, um who kind of puts black people in like token negro magical negro rose or an Ermy Sh- sherman paladino who reimagines a world without negroes is that atina fey <laughs> clearly believes that she is an ally to black people she does <laughs> <laughs> that's the worst part <laughs> like, i think that's what's so terrible about it and it's funny because like in one of the episodes she says it herself like <laughs> in that she goes there's a part where, like, Liz Lemon is, it's, like, in a season three, I think, and Liz Lemon is saying something about something. But the line kind of goes, and I'm paraphrasing, is, like, I'm going to say, I'm probably going to tell all my friends that I voted for Obama, but in reality, I'm voting for John McCain. And isn't that, like, literally peak white liberal shit? <laughs> peak white liberal shit. Like, <laughs> and I like, you know what? That, that's on brand mm, oh my gosh Argentina. and there are so many instances of this right like it's not just a one-time thing like there's constant breadcrumbs in these conversations of very overt but also very casual racism and very casual deep, racism. like you know deep-seated um implicit biases, as well as rampant mi- microaggressions throughout the dialogue of the show. the dialogue. And it's not, and it's not like a joke. It's not part of the turn of the joke. It's just like there. And in fact, that's one of my biggest things with 30 Rock is like, it's wild to me that people, because people still go up for 30 Rock, even today. Like you, there are certain people like you cannot talk to about this show because they're going to like, they're going to just like, you're going to tell them that, like, Santa Claus isn't real. You know what I mean? And, right. But it's throughout the show. Like, there's a joke. There's a joke in, um... There's a joke, like, in, I want to say, around season three, season four. Uh, and there's, like, a new cast member that's come in. From, and he's from Canada. And the joke is sort of, like... And the dialogue, the joke is kind of, like... And once again, I'm paraphrasing. But it kind of goes, like... uh The, can- the Canadian cast member is talking. And he goes, oh, um... Uh, or Liz is talking to him or something and he goes, I don't understand sarcasm. I'm from Canada. Um, and you would think that would be enough, right? Because like the whole Canadians are nice thing is like a thing, right? Right. That would be the end of the joke. But then he tacks on this other line of like, I'm not like some, some weird, like anti-Semitic line about Jews. And I'm like, wait a second. What was that other part for (laughs) right and it's like and you know this is the thing that bothers me i'm so glad you pointed this out because this is like one of many examples of things that bother me on this show is that like they would take a legitimate joke and then just slide something truly offensive and derogatory or stereotypical and on the end and i'm like are you using these jokes as kind of like is, is this like you cracking the door open so you can say the things you really feel I think it is like just hiding it in on the end there was completely unnecessary. (laughs) It's completely unnecessary, and it's like and it's little stuff like that that I think totally break down this argument that I think the big argument that people like to have about Thirty Rock or like their big sort of defense is like it's satirical, it's not serious. It's like it's actually it's actually punching punching up, but those little small details of things where like you know, they have the thing about the Jews or like they have something about black people don't want to work hard or something. Those like little small parts of the dialogue with and that's throughout all seven seasons. I think that is what totally dismantles like that argument. Right. And it's like we said, it's a recurring thing in all the seasons and in and, and nearly every episode. They do something incredibly off color like this that kind of leaves this really bitter taste in your mouth. Right. It is. It's so bitter. Um, And I just want to go on record here and, like, define satire for people that keep misusing that word. Satire is the use of humor, irony, exaggeration, or ridicule to expose and criticize people's stupidity and vices. You performing satire is not, like, carte blanche to be offensive to already marginalized or persecuted groups. That's not how satire works. Right. (laughs) In case you needed a lesson. Like, no, we're not playing these games right now. And I'm really, really tired of people misusing terms or hiding behind humor, um, so that they can dodge accountability for being truly rude and offensive. And in this case, in a completely unnecessary fashion, most of the time, this doesn't even tie into the major theme of that particular episode in any way, shape or form. Right. It's just these asides that are like ridiculous. Um... It's interesting. Something that's interesting to me is uh, Donald Glover was a writer on this show mm-hmm. for season for pretty much the entirety of season one and season two. So knowing that and then uh, um, and then seeing characters like Tufer is interesting. Yeah, I mean, he was super young when he got that role. He was still in university and he would like go he would go right on the show and then go back to the dorms literally right which is wild let's get into some of these these characters on 30 rock all right so you know anyone who's watched the show it's very obvious that a lot of these characters are ciphers for real people or other characters on other shows the liz lemon character is 99.9% Tina Fey herself. <laughs> right. I think we're making that up first. <laughs> yeah. Like, let's be real, sweetie. Um, it, Tracy Jordan is supposed to be the characters that Tracy Morgan has played on SNL and on other, you know, comedy shows. Jack Donaghy is supposed to represent every insecure but extremely rich and powerful conservative white man I think he's Um, also supposed to be a a cipher for Lorne Michaels who is like Tina Fey's like her her a1 since day one uh, okay I don't know enough about that person but you're probably right and then you have the Jenna Maroney character which is interesting because she's literally a cipher for every other character Jane Krakowski has ever portrayed on tv ever right Um, (laughs) And you have Kenneth Parcel, um, who I actually think is, and she's confirmed this, is actually based on the actor who plays him, Jack McBrayer, right down to Kenneth's, like, favorite um, snack, which is eating chickpeas out of a can. That's actually Jack McBrayer's favorite snack. Okay. So he's playing himself on that show. (laughs) Right. Interesting. And two for Spurlock is, I believe, the person that, Donald Glover was branding himself as when he got the the job as a writer on this show. I hate it. (laughs) Um, yeah. So yeah. So like, and it's interesting 30. So 30 rock is super interesting because of how transparent, I think these like loose interpretations of people are because, um, TGS with Tracy, uh, Morgan is clearly Saturday night live. Um, and then 30 rock 30, uh, which is the address 30 Rockefeller Plaza are the actual studios in New York where SNL actually takes place. That's where the SNL studios are um, in New York city. Uh, They TGS um, with Tracy Morgan uh, on 30 rock is also um, on NBC and the show references NBC and all sort of the goings on with NBC. There'll even be like a plot line later on about the big, uh, Buyout of NBC by Comcast. They call it Cable Town, and you know, mm-hmm. to not get in legal trouble. But um, <laughs> when you see the sort of Cable Town logo, it's it's the exact same as like the Xfinity Comcast logo, which is really interesting. So, so it's interesting that they that they're so transparent. Now, the show actually does have points where it's legitimately funny. The show is the funniest actually when they don't like make jokes. <laughs> when. <laughs> Right. It's, 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 it's sad, but true. I'm sorry. Like yes. the show is funniest when they're not like essentially like picking bones at like marginalized groups, which, Hey, how hard was that? <laughs> like, um, one of the, one of my favorite characters, and I think one of your favorite characters too is Kenneth. Mm-hmm. I love Kenneth. Kenneth is so pure. And like, there are a lot of like Kenneth, a lot of, and then Tracy, like Kenneth and Tracy's stories. And like, usually the stuff that they get into is for the most part, except for, like, a couple of instances, which we're, I'm going to point out again, um, are legitimately funny. Like, like the physical gags, all the sort of, like, physical comedy, the physical gags, um, the sort of absurd... There's a very absurdist humor when it comes to Tracy and... Kenneth's stories and all of that is legitimately funny and works like there is an episode in season two season two episode five where Kenneth is throwing a party and um nobody's coming to Kenneth's party and Tracy feels bad that no one's coming to Kenneth's party. So, so Tracy starts a rumor that like TI is going to be at Kenneth's party, that like he's coming. And this rumor gets spread around all around the studios and like in the city that like, Oh gosh, TI is going to be at Kenneth's party. So we all have to go. And it's legitimately hilarious. Like I actually laughed out loud. (laughs) I was shocked at myself they have the best interactions. And I think that's because the Tracy character is written as someone who really just wants to get along with everybody and isn't interested in putting anyone down or like flexing his muscle. And the Kenneth character is also, like you said, really pure, really sincere. He doesn't have a mean or sarcastic or like vindictive bone in his body. So when you have these two characters together, their interactions can be legitimately funny and you don't have to worry about like, the stuff that this show does notoriously that we just mentioned. (laughs) Right. You don't have to brace for the microaggression. And I mean, granted. So I think one of the things with the Kenneth character that people will probably go up the most about is like, you know, Kenneth is supposed to be in is from the South. And in one of the episodes, I think in the later seasons, they make it clear he's Kenneth is writing a letter back home and he, act and he, um, and the address that he's writing it to is actually at Stone Mountain, Georgia, which is interesting because Stone Mountain is like a bunch of just regular people. <laughs> like, um, it's actually, it's a it's a pretty affluent area from what I've known. I know Donald Glover is from Stone Mountain, and he grew up like upper middle class. Right. It's middle class black people in Stone Mountain, and then and that's the other thing. It's predominantly black Stone Mountain, Georgia. <laughs> um there are not a lot of white people there uh which funny enough the show actually does reference when like kenneth goes to his like high school reunion it's all like black people Mm -hmm. when they like have that shot and i think it's supposed to be like it's weird because like i just hate that i can't take anything from this show in good faith because i think it's supposed to be like insulting to kenneth but like or it's there's, there's some sort of like joke in there, but in showing that like he went to a predominantly black high school, but I don't know. It's just, it, it, for me, like it just made sense. I was like, yeah, he's from stone mountain there. It's black. It's all black people in stone mountain because like, I mean, you go to the corner store in stone mountain or you go to the gas station and you can buy like mixtapes like in New York, like in Queens and stuff. Yeah. I felt the same way. I thought that you know, it made sense that so mountain was full of of Negroes, but at the same time, I was like, they're making fun of Kenneth. Cut, because Kenneth. yeah, I know how white people feel about predominantly black neighborhoods and schools, even if they aren't like poorer neighborhoods. And I know how white people up in the north also feel about schools and neighborhoods in the South. And Kenneth, as a character, is, like, a living joke for some of these other characters. Right. And that's sort of, and that's essentially the, that's why this show sucks. Like, or that's why, like, that's why this sucks. Because it's clearly, like, Kenneth, the whole thing, I guess, about Kenneth is that, like, he's a joke because he's so country. But, I don't know, like, but for me, it's, it's like, for me, the joke is that, like, Kenneth doesn't, like, tell all those people to go fuck off because like Kenneth works so hard and they don't appreciate him like at all. Uh, Kenneth is such a deeply interesting character and it's not just because he's a good person but because Kenneth is actually quite a strange person. he's he's like superhumanly cheerful. he's incredibly hardworking and it's revealed several times over the course of the show that Kenneth um, may not sleep. he may be immortal. Right. (laughs) Oh, that's a funny gag. I was like, so many times this show annoyed me, and I would throw my hands up and I'd be like, just give Kenneth his own show. Fuck, I hate all you people. (laughs) For real, though. (laughs) Because, like, yeah, there is like that thing where, like, I guess, like, Kenneth's like talking to God, but like, it seems like he's legitimately talking to God. (laughs) Right. (laughs) where he's like oh like I only have so much time to like change so and so so it's like this this gag that like Kenneth might be like (laughs) uh, like a like an angel or something which is um which is funny like that's see like and I'm like laughing but it's like these are like the only legitimately funny parts of the show (laughs) Right, right. Um, it's it's also stated by um, Kenneth's mother that at the time of his birth, he said to her, Mama, I am not a person. My body is just a flesh vessel for an immortal being whose name, if you heard it, would make you lose your mind. So he could be an angel. He could be an alien. Like, I want to know about Kenneth. <laughs> None of these people are interesting, just but Kenneth. But Kenneth. <laughs> um, um. But, like, you know, that's one of... My favorite characters and yours as well. And I think a lot of these other characters were, I guess, funny in their own right. But let's talk really quickly about a character that neither of us thought was well conceptualized. Like from Jump, the, the very idea of this character is really cringe. And that would be Twofer. Oh, God, Twofer. <laughs> Yikes. So, Twofer is the. One and only black writer on Saturday Night, or not Saturday Night Live? Yikes! I'm gonna be doing that all episode. Okay, Tufer is the one and only black writer on the girly Show with Tracy, TGS with um Tracy Morgan, and he is a uh, something else. They call him Tufer because he is a uh, black and he went to Harvard. So it's like getting two for one. So Tufer. But they treat him like shit. He acts like shit, mm-hmm. and he's he's a generally ridiculous person. They treat him like shit, and he's so desperate to be the token Negro that it's not that even that he ignores that he's being treated like shit. The show makes it all clear that he genuinely doesn't understand he's being treated like shit, right? <laughs> Which is like, oh God. And it's like, and just and and the thing of it is, it's like it would be one thing if the character Tufer was created to make fun of people like Tufer because i'm I'm of trust me, I think the twofers of the world should be should absolutely be ridiculed for thinking that they're somehow like, better or more robust than these regular Negroes out here. Um because that's essentially Tufer's baseline is that he thinks because like he he's around these white people that he's better than those 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 other Negroes. Like he's special. Um but the way that the show it's once again, it's all in this framing of this show and the way that the show writes him, it it gets ugly. <laughs> it does. I mean even before season one, there I there's so many cringe-worthy quotables coming out of this man's mouth like he meets tracy he immediately hates tracy just up top for no other reason that he sees tracy is a walking stereotype and that tracy is making them them being white people think less of us tufer can't even say the words racist and racism but he will never miss an opportunity to blame another black person for the reason why we're treated unfairly. Um, exactly. He doesn't, Toofer is like deep in his like respectability politics. He's like, Oh, Tracy, you're, how dare you make us look so terrible to the whites. <laughs> um, Basically. And it's like, who cares? Uh, and, and it's like, listen, it's like, and then even then it's like, Tufer's so concerned with Tracy, but like Tracy's the star of the show. Tracy gets what he wants when he wants it like Tracy's swimming in money like uh it comes it um basically it's uh it's revealed like in the later seasons that Tracy made some like really great investments and is Mm -hmm. now like dumb rich like even um and granted like wealth is not wealth should not be the barometer of like which we measure measure success and like black black capitalism is fake but um and it's a scam. But still, it's like with a person like Toofer you think would value something like that, that would be something to change somebody like Tufer's like his mind. But no, no. Right. And you know what's so interesting about the the Tracy Jordan character that Tracy Morgan plays is that, you know, Tufer accuses him of being a stereotype and being a buffoon. He actually uses the word buffoon, you guys. Um, because the character he plays on stage is very close to his actual personality. It's very clear that Tufer doesn't mind the buffoonery when it's on camera and it's getting them both paid. He just wants, you know, um, Chasey to be a a respectable Negro when the cameras stop rolling. So he's essentially saying, I'm okay with you tap dancing for these white folks, but if that's your actual personality, then I'm not fucking with it. Right, and it's which is like, ugh, yikes. So one of the things that I actually think is interesting, so there's a plot in season one, season one episode 18 where Tufor finds out that he's the descendant of um, a black Confederate general uh, that fought for the South to uh, for for the Civil War which yeah, like and it's it's interesting because Tooper ase- origin- originally thinks that he, you know, his descendant or his ancestor was part of, like, the Northern Resistance or was, like, you know, freed slaves or something. And he finds out that actually he's, like I said, his, his ancestor is, in fact, a Confederate soldier. In my head, I was like, serves you right. Um, and, of course, because all that sucker shit is inside your DNA. <laughs> I was just about to say that. <laughs> I could have told him he had snitch in his DNA. DNA. <laughs> like, <laughs> snitch. At the same time, I I hope that, like, just the twofer character and the framing of it, hope, I hope it signals to white people that, like, white people still think you're a joke. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you're not, you're still a joke to them. <laughs> like, nothing right. here, all this grandstanding that you're doing, all of this... Candace Owens, Ben Carson energy that you're serving is still a joke to them. Still. Right. And the thing is, the people on the show actually respected Tracy much more than they ever respected Twofer. Um, And this is shown in many, many different episodes. You know, originally when, um, when uh, Jenna convinces Liz that Tracy can't read, for example. And then she finds out that he can read. And then he turns, you know, turns that whole thing on its head and starts milking her white guilt. Um, Right. Which was like a really funny bit and a really funny gag. Like, okay, you're going to, if you want to play white savior, we can play that game. Um, Right. Let's do it. Let's go. But like the, the two for character is consistently a joke. And one of the episodes that makes this glaringly obvious is actually, again, Or right from right out the gate in season one, Tracy, you know, calls two for my nigga. It's very colloquial. Black people call each other that all the time. But this black man actually had tears in his eyes because another black man called him a nigger. I hate it. And I'm, I'm watching this and I know this shit was written by or for the approval of white folks. And just the fact that someone wrote this and this character existed is the biggest joke of all. <laughs> it is. It's just like, and the reason why every time like stuff like this happens, I'm, I'm putting like, you know, my, my, my fingers to my temple and just massaging is because it's like. Tina Fey was, like, white women's feminist hero, like, and she still is, (laughs) like, she was, like, like, the mountaintop for them, and I'm just, like, how, how did, how, like, where, how did this work? (laughs) Right, and you know what, though, like, I have a theory about twofer and why twofer exists, I actually think that when black people think of respectable Negroes, good Negroes, the ones that make the race look good, they think of niggas like Tufer, the ones that want white validation and want a seat at the table and are, are willing to sacrifice their own dignity to get it. Like Tufer is beyond subservient to the white gaze. Right. Yeah. Ugh, yikes. Okay. Um so then one more thing that I want to talk about with Tufer. So there's an episode, season 4, episode 17. Tufer finds out that he is a div- a diversity hire. Now, um which yeah. But like so what? But anyway, but that's another conversation. Essentially like that's but so like in terms of like diversity hires in TV shows and like networks like so this is like a real thing for like our listeners. So essentially a network, in order to promote diverse writer rooms, a network will, the the show, the production can get more money if they, from the network, if they prove that they've hired or they've, they've put diversity in their writer's room. And that writer, that diverse hire, is not paid at, out of the actual show production budget because usually they... Um, it's paid out of the network's budget. The network like cuts that writer a special check that is separate from everybody else. It's fucked up, yes, but like white people are racist. I don't know. What do you want from them? And right, and the fact that they hire you for this reason literally doesn't take away from your. Um, your you know your talent or the fact that you deserve the position it just means that there should be more people who look like you that were hired <laughs> hired right and in, and so and essentially two finds this out like this is the plot of the episode and in in two is so upset about it that he quits which once again let's go back to your point that you just made like like Girl, it couldn't be me because I'd be like, well, fuck you. I still got money. <laughs> like, right. And, I'm you're not, like, listen, and why would I leave the room where I was the only black person because I was the only like you were the only black person in that room for years and you were fine with it until you found out that they saw you as just another Negro. You were okay with the, with this fantasy in your head that you were just the only Negro who was deserving enough or talented enough. Right. <laughs> like, is that what you were thinking before when you were the only person in the room that you were just so talented that no other Negroes got hired? Right. So that's, that's, <laughs> ch- that's Mark. Number one on this episode. <laughs> so so Tupper quits. And so then the, so then, um, they're in a mad rush to, like, rip, like, what are we going to do? Because we're going to lose this money from the network now that Twofer has quit. Um, Check out the priorities, folks. We're not mad that our colleague of many years is leaving. We're mad that we're going to lose this money. <laughs> <laughs> like, I hate it. I hate it. Number. So then here's mark number two. Tracy has, like, in this episode, Tracy is, like, Tracy is, um venting or, like, expressing frustration that he's only given buffoon characters to play. He's Mm -hmm. gone to Liz, he's gone to Jack, he's like, why do you always make me play stupid people? Like, I don't get it. Like, I want to do something that's more, like, that has more fulfillment for me. It Which... The show frames as crazy. <laughs> the show frames this sort of frustration that Tracy's venting as like Tracy's Tracy's being ridiculous. Tracy's just on about something like Tracy's just just, you know, being being silly as per usual. They don't really take what he's saying to heart or to dignity or that anything he could be saying it has merit. And this is something that the show is is. And this is something that the show will do consistently and recurringly with the Tracy Morgan character. Every time Tracy, um, or his wife Angie, or even Dotcom and Grizz, who are, and Dotcom and Grizz, who are part of Tracy's entourage, anytime that they will speak about representation or the quality of representation or why is it that they can only do certain things or that like these writers aren't thinking about them in in more complex ways, the show will frame it as like they're being crazy. They're being unreasonable. Right. I mean, this is even extended to the Jenna character um, when Jenna wants to play different types of characters and they're like, "Nah, you're good sis. sit right here. And every time she wants to expand her characters or she wants to showcase her singing talents more on the show, they're like, oh, stop, like you're being annoying. And, you know, they talk about wanting them to broaden their horizons and and be creative, but they box them in a lot. And with Jenna, it always comes off deeply misogynist. And with Tracy, it always comes off deeply racist. Right. And it's not, and once again, we want to clarify, it's not a joke. Like, it's not, it's not a joke. The way that the frame, the way that the show frames it, because once again, we understand satire cuz i know after we post <laughs> this episode we're going to get like ugh, yikes cuz people get Do you even satire? Yeah. Like no, we know what satire no, is guys. We, we, is. Is. we think things are funny, we promise. Um uh but yeah, so they frame it as that. And so so then in episode 17, they then after when all these things are going on, and what makes episode 17 i think very What what makes it stand out in this context of the things we're talking about is that the entire episode lacks the sort of, like, other hallmarks of comedy in the show. Like, there are no physical gags in this episode. There's no absurdist humor. There aren't even a lot of those, you know, off-color turned jokes. A lot of this dialogue and the plotting and the pacing of episode 17 is pretty straight. (laughs) which makes this episode all the more troubling. And so there's a conversation that happens in the writer's room uh, after two first quit and Tracy's in the writer's room and he's expressing this frustration and Liz and Judah. I don't know the guy. I don't know the, the white guy with the trucker hat. I don't know his name. I don't Um, remember his name either, girl. He's so forgettable. (laughs) So forgettable. (laughs) Although they always take time to make jokes about his weight and <laughs> thanks, thanks, 30 rock. Um, mm. Um, mm, I hate it. So the guy in the the white guy in the trucker hat um is like, well, I'm Italian and Italians are only seen as like Guidos and mobsters. Like, I always like, well, so, shut that entire fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> like, and then um and then jenna says well we actually haven't we actually haven't had a white disney princess since 1991 uh and then the the producer guy the balding producer guy like names all the the princesses of disney princesses of color never mind that like sleeping beauty is from like what the 40s right like oh i hate oh y'all y'all something y'all so different and then Liz comes in, you know, with the piece de la resistance of, like, saying, I'm a white woman in entertainment and I've never had any help whatsoever. Now, Ooh. bitch. Why the fuck you lie? lying? <laughs> like... First of all, Jack helps her every single day, and he goes out of his way to make sure that she don't end up alone, choking to death in her apartment, and with the body only being found three days later. And he helps her on her damn show. And Jack and Liz couldn't be any more different, but you know why he helps her? Because she's white. Exactly, because you're white, honey. (laughs) Like, when she was like, no one in entertainment, no one has ever given me help, I was just like, bitch, who do you think Jack is? And then To take it there, I was like, bitch, who do you think Lorne Michaels is? (laughs) Like, Tina, are you high? Like... And white women will li- will say that shit with a straight face. And I think it irritates me more than when white men say no one ever helped me. Because for the average white man, when they say no one ever helped me, they really mean no one outside of my circle of family and friends ever helped me. No one but other white men ever helped me. You can't be here as a whole white woman in what you admittedly call a, m- a male-dominated industry. Doing the dumb shit that you do constantly and saying that no one ever helped you <laughs> right now this season, like now this this episode season four episode 17 it bothered me season four episode 17 it bothered me so much I went to go look who wrote it because I was like I, I can't and of course it's written by the two because when you actually if you um it's written by the two white women on the show Tina Fey and Kay Cannon which makes sense, um, and it's completely. It's, and it's even more ridiculous because if you go to YouTube right now and you Google um, 30 Rock Emmy win Emmy speech," um, because this this show has won all the this Thirty Rock has won all the awards, and it's one it's like a fourteen time Emmy win, Emmy winner, which honestly isn't surprising because the Emmys, even though that they've even though they've made pains to diversify I think the Academy um, like people who vote for the Oscars the Emmys remain like unbearably white in terms of who's allowed to vote and Emmy speeches are interesting um, to watch because Emmy acceptance award speeches are pretty much the only time you get to see like the full writers room Mm -hmm. um, on stage because you know now people are nowadays people are shook to like um, post pictures of their writers' rooms and stuff because they don't want, like, the smoke. <laughs> not Tyler Perry, though. <laughs> not Tyler Perry. <laughs> uh, they don't want the smoke, but when you look at Tina Fey and, like, the, the 30 Rock writers accepting the awards, it's, like, Tina Fey, 17 white men, two white women, like, not even two, one other white woman, and then, like, a black a black person. And it's, like, Huh. Huh. So literally the TGS writer's room. It, it is the TGS writer's room. And it's so interesting to me that you're the fucking creator of the show. And you're whining all day long about women. You make that white women not having enough opportunities, but your writer's room reflects your own internalized misogyny. Right. Which brings us to Liz Lemon <laughs> herself. Boy, yikes yikes big yikes the liz lemon character is not an ally to other women she's really not and it's because she constantly sees herself as being in competition with other women these other women largely aren't even aware of liz's existence or they don't really be checking for her like that but liz has a lot of insecurities that she projects onto other women And the show kind of shows that, you know, she makes good money. She works on the show, TGS. She makes enough money to have her own apartment near Manhattan in New York, where she lives alone. It's not cheap, y'all. It's really not cheap. She even makes enough money to buy the the, the apartment above her and then flip it and convert it into a duplex. Like, that shit is millions of dollars. Exactly. But Liz dresses like a scrub. Liz thinks that... She shouldn't have to put any effort into her appearance to attract a partner and she looks down on women who do. Which is nuts. Like right, if you, you were like that option <laughs> You too have that option. Now if you just don't want to do it and you and like and maybe like you are happy being alone and there and you have a great career like you and and then this is the other thing like Liz doesn't have friends. Um, she doesn't have friends, she doesn't have, like, other people in her life, and it's probably because, like, other women, like, run from her. I know I would. If you had, because, like, you know, if she had these other things in life that fulfilled her, and, like, the sort of performance of femininity femininity was just something that was not interesting to her, okay, fine. Valid. Fair. Right. You know what I mean? But she just, it's not that she, she just, like, Like you said, insecurities on insecurities, and she wants to put those on everybody else right and I think what makes it super interesting is there are several moments throughout the this, this, this seasons throughout the series where Liz does get glammed up and she gets dressed up and she likes it and she likes the attention but then she goes back to dressing the homely way that she usually does almost as a form of rebellion like she's like I'll be damned if a man doesn't fall in love with me exactly like this but the gag is this is not attracted to men who carry themselves the way that she does on a day to day basis she's not into guys who dress like whatever who have stains on their clothes whose hair isn't groomed and her character ends up getting to a relationship with a character played by the ridiculously good-looking james marsden right like have you ever seen james marsden not look perfect and not look perfectly groomed never never not in your whole (laughs) life not even on 30 rock i think he's like shaved all the time all the time and it's interesting to me because I see this this sort of entitlement in feminist circles or white feminist circles specifically and it's entitlement masquerading as rebellion this idea that like I'm a woman and women and you know fuck your beauty standards and this that and the third but my partner better live up to male beauty standards (laughs) I deserve someone hot I deserve someone hot (laughs) Right. Which is like, huh? Like, 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 and you know what, at the end of the day, that shit literally does not matter beyond an interpersonal frame of reference because whether or not women stop grooming themselves or men start doesn't change what feminism is actually about, which is fixing the unequal power dynamic, the power that men have over us. (laughs) Right. So like dressing like, you know, a seventh grader who just left a messy school lunch school fight isn't changing anything. And if you're happier when you're dressed up and you're happier when you're getting attention, why not stay in that zone? Like Liz even goes so far as to get all dressed up and try to have a relationship with a whole ass lesbian because she's lonely knowing that she's not attracted to that woman. Oh god, I remember that. That was so cringe. Like, and the woman, by the way, is like ridiculously beautiful. And and she tells Liz from jump, like, I'm not interested in a quote unquote relationship with another straight woman who's lonely. Liz hears this and completely disregards it. <laughs> yeah. Did I did we mention that all of the the LGBTQ stuff on this show is also like super cringe? Right. As if it were obvious <laughs> So cringe. Like there's there's an episode where Liz um Liz is essentially responsible for outing her nephew, and then subsequently his parents like kick him out of the house. Um mm-hmm. because that was, hard he's to been watch. At, that was oh my gosh. And then once he's been kicked out of the house and he is now homeless. Because of Liz, Liz is directly responsible. It is then upon him to then make Liz feel better about her life somehow. Oh my God, can we talk about how self centered this woman is? Not only is the show incredibly white, but it's incredibly cis centric and heterocentric. And it shows. Because you have this person with layers upon layers of privilege over the nephew, right? He's not only gay, he's a minor. He's someone who isn't in a position to financially support himself yet. But we're supposed to assuage her, like, heterosexual guilt over the shit that she set into motion. Right, and it's like, and and, and it's like, that just, it's not, and like, the worst part is like, she doesn't talk to him and she's like, come stay and live here until you graduate. Let's get you into school. You can finish and like, whatever. Um, Cause that, cause that could have been a whole plot, right? That could have been the thing of like where she, I mean, she shouldn't have outed him in the first place, but if they, if, if you insist on sticking with this thing where Liz outs him, there could have been, because Liz generally acts like a child anyway. Um, which is another she thing. She really does. She really does, which is another thing. But um, you could have had a, a plot where, like, he comes to stay in New York and she has to, like, get him enrolled in school and, like, do all this stuff. And, like, all—and then all of that is sort of, like, overwhelms her and, like, you know, she has her typical sort of childish Liz Lemon foibles and sort of, you know, putting her nephew's life back together. That could have been the driving force of that whole episode. You know what I mean? Right. The kid needed a Blanca, but he got stuck with Liz, who's a lemon. Stuck with Liz. Yeah, oh, that's clever. I like <laughs> it. Um, that could have been it, but instead you get this: like she outs him, and then like he's like he's like, oh, I'm gonna help you feel better about your, and he he's immediately reduced to this like gay best friend um gay sort of helper to this white woman stereotype like immediately and that is so ugly when you consider like um families kicking out like their gay kids it's like a real real thing and it still really happens um and the th- and like the and a lot of kids that 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 happens to they don't make it like they don't like it's very few who manage to survive that and the fact that they do it and then they're so flippant about it and that he's then or he's then reduced to the stereotype and they don't try to uh create an episode around making sure that he's okay is like so ugly it really is because like you said this is a real issue it's an epidemic among the youth most homeless youth you're going to see it's going to come out of one or two things they were kicked out for being gay or trans or they left home willingly because of abuse so you're, you're you're taking the situation of being outed by parents who don't accept your identity you make that into a joke You integrate this gay bestie character with this weird power dynamic of he's also her nephew, someone she should be taking care of, not someone who's taking care of her. And I'm like, you guys... You, there was no other way that you could integrate this gay best friend trope that Hollywood seems to be obsessed with. There was no other way to integrate a gay character, maybe a, a, a more age-appropriate gay character for the relationship that Liz is trying to foster or the kind of relationship that Liz needs. Like, he's he was literally—he literally became a prop in that narrative. In that narrative, and it's so ugly. Also, my God, what is with—I mean— it truly is, like... Wait, the show premiered, like, what, in 2009, you said? Uh, 2006. Oh, it, it really is oh six to oh thirteen because all of the times that Liz says, um, shim or him or misgendering people, my God... Oh, misgendering as a joke. What I don't miss about the fucking early 2000s and what every I, era prior to. <laughs> Jesus don't Christ. Don't miss. Um, and you know what? It's I'm okay with a storyline where someone misgenders someone absolutely one time and one time only. And they're corrected. And then they do better. And listen, and like we've said before... Um, And part of me doesn't want to give her a pass because we've said this before, like, this shit isn't new. It's just the language is new. And I guess, like, I think of Big Love, uh, which never called Selma, never really said she or he in terms of Selma, but just called her by her name. I'm like, listen, just or I'm called him by his name. Uh, Call people by their names. Like, if you don't want to deal with pronouns, just call them by their names. You know what I mean? Right. Most people actually really like the sound of their own name. So just go ahead and keep using that. If you are afraid to misgender someone, go ahead and misuse that. But I I also don't think it's it's incredibly hard to remember someone's pronouns if they tell it to you and you are having an ongoing relationship with them. If your coworker, your friend, your cubicle mate, your classmate, your teacher tells you their pronoun and this is someone you're interacting with on a regular basis, why is it hard to remember? Right. Um, <laughs> it's- like, I just don't get it i just don't get it let's talk really quickly about the jack donaghy character because i went into 30 rock thinking that i would really despise this character but i didn't hate him nearly as much as liz and which i thought was interesting because i I think it's because of our thing of like white men are just so honest about who they are this particular white man is yes like jack is not in denial or living under some sort of delusion about his character. And I think seeing Liz be a shitty person consistently and then be in consistent denial that she's a shitty person is really exhausting to watch. Right. Like, Jack is very clear. Jack is like, I'm for who I'm for, and everybody else can go, like, fuck themselves. Like, and there's something refreshing in that. (laughs) It's like, okay, that's cool. Right. I know going in exactly what I'm getting and I don't have to listen to someone like constantly make excuses for themselves or hide behind gender repression to get away with just like ridiculous behavior you know circling back to the two character really quickly when he leaves because he finds out he was a diversity hire liz doesn't say you know what this what she would say to another woman like so what if you're a diversity hire stay and fight she's like no i respect you for leaving right she's like yeah leave <laughs> <laughs> like bitch don't bitch. even sit here and act like you're doing this for his benefit okay <laughs> I hate it. Um, so yeah, let's talk about Jack. Jack is interesting. Jack is definitely like a cipher for Lorne, Lorne Michaels, who's um was who's very close with Tina Fey in real life and was he's the executive producer on Saturday Night Live. He's also the executive producer on 30 Rock. Mmm. Those checks keep coming and coming, coming for him. And he does he's a big power player and and does a lot of things. It's interesting. So the Jack character is really what, like, revived Alec Baldwin's career. Like, this is what put him back, like, on the map map. What's really interesting is that when they asked him to be on the show, they never thought he'd say yes. So they were thinking that, like, Alec Baldwin was going to think he was too good for 30 Rock, but he jumped at it. Cause he, cause he needed that check too. He got, he had a mortgage. Right. Right. Um, so Jack is interesting. Jack is, uh, he is the executive producer of TGS on, um, NBC and he is ally to Liz Lemon. He really just wants Liz to win. That's, that's, that's probably one of his big things. He, he doesn't really like running TGS, but he does it cause the checks really good. But he right. also, like all evil, powerful white men, he has his fingers in a lot of like things. So he has his he has you know fingers in government, and um also like in the business sector with uh GE, and he's also consistently eyeing um taking over, like this big taking over ne- the network as a whole from his mentor who who currently runs it, Don guys. Right. You know what's interesting about Jack too that I, I learned like literally just today was that John Hamm actually auditioned to play Jack as well. Fascinating. John Hamm from Mad Men, you guys know him, um, as like the lead on that show. And I actually think he could have played the role just as well, if not better, just because he's, I think, much more um charming and handsome than Alec Baldwin. I think I agree. Um, and then John Ham, who actually shows, shows up on Thirty Rock, he's one of Liz's boyfriends that happens in one of those seasons. All of Liz's serious boyfriends on this show are played by incredibly attractive men. Well, like <laughs> the whole gag with John Ham's character is that like he's pretty and he lives in like a Pretty People bubble. Like, right? Which, yeah. But like, she even, even Liz critiquing like I think the inequity of beauty standards is like dumb because she's it's still just like projections it's huge projection and not only that it's woefully hypocritical because liz is not ugly she's just she's just she just doesn't dress well there's a difference between being ugly and dressing badly now does dressing well make you appear more attractive to people yes yes it does but most people will take a woman that looks like liz dressed the way that she normally is dressed over someone that they think is unattractive wearing gucci and that's just a facts you don't get to critique your boyfriend on beauty privilege like you don't benefit from it too right and it's like and then it's even worse when you think about Liz. somebody like liz who like dresses like liz could get like the top tier of like another race you know what i mean Solely off of Great. nothing because she's white. Off she of could nothing. absolutely bag like a Hispanic architect or a black doctor. <laughs> like easily, <laughs> like in her sleep, she could do it do exactly like she is. But she's mad. like, so I'm just like, because that's what like white women do now. But like, um, and you know what? The interesting thing about Liz is too, she could bag her fair share of white men looking just like that. Um Liz again, projecting insecurities, assumes that women who look like Siri Xerox, for example, and who dress the way that she does get the most attention. But attention is a very fleeting thing. The show makes it clear that a lot of men are intrigued by Liz. It's Liz's demeanor that's off-putting to the men. Right. I mean she even there's even a whole plot um that even now is really sketch, but like I I guess now like in, in looking at it is super sketch, but the whole plot where like the Canadian cast member comes um, and she starts sleeping with him. Mm. They start hooking up and like, even that it's like, he's really attractive. You're hooking up with him. Like what, like what, like what, what, what's happening here? What's going on? Even the first boyfriend we're introduced to, who's, I think, the least attractive of all her boyfriends, um, like the kind of like the the bummy one that was like living with her, kind of not really was not an ugly guy either. (laughs) Um, um, This Liz talks a lot about how, you know, she wants more from life than her work, but, like, she wants it with zero effort. Not only does she not dress well, but she actually doesn't go out a lot, like, in spaces that are not her work environment, and she's not attracted to anyone at work, really. And so, like, how are you going to meet these men in your apartment, sis? So many good questions. (laughs) So many good questions. And like I said, and listen, like, because I'm a big believer that white women need more narratives where they're, like, alone, Because I think that's, like... I think that would actually be really healthy for them. Because maybe if, like... (laughs) Because maybe if white women... If white women had more images and narratives of, like, where they're completely alone. Or, like, not this... Or not, like, inexplicably, like, the object of desire. Maybe, like, 53% of them wouldn't have, like, voted with their nice white husbands. You know? Like, Mm. this wouldn't have happened. (laughs) Speak on it. Speak on it. So, like... I think, like, if Liz was just, like, like, wanted to be alone and she was happy, like, hooking up with people and then, like, not doing and then, like, letting that go and then, like, was secure in that, there could be something, like, really powerful in that for her and, like, powerful, like, in the show. But But I don't know. They don't want to be great. Liz is powerful and, like, empowered but, like, it's all talk, and I think this is the real reason why I prefer the Jack character over the Liz character. Liz will constantly critique Jack and, like, put him on blast for being whatever ist, whatever bigot of XYZ or, like, unethical or amoral by her estimation, but like she's not treating any of those groups any better she just sits on her high horse because she thinks she's not as bad as jack right like there is an episode in season two um season two episode six where she essentially reports somebody to ice and gets them (laughs) deported Mm. That episode was so hard to watch. Oh, God. It's so hard to watch. Like, she's a whole racist. And she essentially just wants to be comforted that she's, like, by the fact that she's a racist. She, like... She even says, I don't want to sound racist. Like, rather... She, like, she doesn't want to sound racist rather than being an actual racist. Like, like... Which is, like... (laughs) Is that not the most Caucasian thing ever, though? Like, white people don't care what they do but they do care about being called out on it a lot of white people think that the word racist is overused or that it's a slur against white people like and which i mean which brings me to my i was just about to say this entire show is an indictment on like neoliberals and i think um quote unquote good white people and i don't think it realizes it is No, it doesn't. Because the Jack character is supposed to, um, the Jack character is honestly, when it comes to, you know, discussions with Liz, he's, he's right most of the time. She's like a broken clock. She's only, she's only on time two twice a day. Um, and it's interesting that Jack, like, this bigoted conservative, is always in the right, but because he's the only person on that, you know, when it comes to, like, his dynamics with Liz, who has any sort of self-awareness at all. Right. Just, like, I mean, Jack knows what he's here and what he's about, like, and when he lies to people, he knows he's lying to them. Like, it's not, like, (laughs) he's not, like, under any illusions. Like, example, um season five episode three queen latifah shows up as a congresswoman who is essentially who like rails nbc about you know diversity and like representation and like and and all of that stuff and jack you know has this whole conversation with her about how he's like well you don't really mean any of the things you're saying you're just grandstanding and she goes no You're no, I really do mean all of these things that I'm saying, but I have to grandstand or I have to like do I have to talk the way I talk or I have to and I have to make the points the way I make my points in order to get anybody to even listen to me. Jack then gives her this whole speech about, of course, like I want diversity and like innovation because that's how we get new ideas. And like that's how like we push, you know, the world forward. But Jack knows that he's selling her a fucking line when he says that right because jack lies to a lot of people but he doesn't lie to himself and that's the difference between jack and liz it's a difference the huge difference but yeah the jack character is interesting he's funny I, i think i enjoyed like the sort of randomness of his stuff of like like the fact that he dated Condoleezza Rice or Oh um, my god, that whole gag was hilarious. That gag was hilarious. So hilarious. <laughs> and then um, he was convinced she was she was cheating on him with some other politician because he saw their interactions and like uh on the news. And then, like, he became insecure and stuff. That that whole gag was hilarious. I think they gave him great lines. I honestly think I would have enjoyed this show exponentially more if the Liz and Twofer characters were not a part of it. Same. <laughs> so, so let's talk about some side characters that, like, don't have, like, a lot. But what they do have, I love, 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 love them. Um, Rachel, Rachel Dratch, who was actually originally supposed to play Jenna plays like 30 different characters on this show. She She shows, she shows up and she just plays random characters and they're never on screen for longer than four minutes tops. Um, like, like in, like in a row, but like, it's always hilarious. And it's so cool because in this manner, they've incorporated, a sketch show within this sitcom right because in sketch on, on sketch comedy shows you have actors playing that many many different characters so i thought just having a character like that was super clever right um that running gag that she does is really that she does uh for that is is fun and it's it's good to see her because rachel drach is like really great at physical comedy and she has comedy and she has great timing some characters that i like uh dot com and grizz yeah, um, they're great and their their interactions together are so great. Their their interactions with Trey like together and then with Tracy and then also with Kenneth are like gold. Um the times that I I laugh out loud at the show is definitely like when they're all three like in like their own little plots. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. And I, I also like when, like, Jenna and Kenneth have their own plots. I always thought those were funny. Yes, those are funny. Um, those are really great. You know what? Anytime people are just, like, interacting with, like, not Liz, they're, like, <laughs> magic happens when and I think not, about it. And not too fur, to be very honest. Honest. I think um, one of the worst interactions with Twofer was actually that same one where Tracy called him nigger. And not only was he upset about this, but then we have a whole, a spiel from Liz and Jack where these two white people are explaining to this white man, black man, that being called the N word by another black man isn't offensive. Oh God, I hate it. <sighs> like who who wrote this (laughs) for why and for what particularly when there's such gold on the show like there's uh there's an episode and um there are multiple episodes where jack and jenna interact or like they they both bond over like their toxic mothers that was very sweet. Yeah, I love their interactions. Um, I did mention earlier that I think that Jenna is like an amalgamation of a lot of other characters that Jane Krakowski has played. Right down to the fact that Jenna has histrionic personality disorder, which is also shared by her character Elaine on Ali McBeal, which she was in previously, and her character Jacqueline White on The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, which she went to, on to play after this. She's she's been typecast like for real at this point. <laughs> I mean, but she's listen, she does it so well. Also, somebody, so somebody that like. I, I personally enjoy that I don't think we're supposed to enjoy is Tracy's wife Angie played by Sherry Shepard I agree I love her I think she's I, great I love her she's so great and I, I, I don't think we're supposed to I think the show definitely frames her as someone who's like crazy and unreasonable and like she's like every sort of ugly black f- like woman stereotype you can think of The show tries to fit her into it. But because the show is so caught up in, I think, its own, like, racism, she ends up being one of the sole interesting people on the show. And the sole, like, reasonable person. Yeah, she is definitely a lot of, you know, this, this, uh, this conglomeration of all these negative Black women stereotypes. But I... And this is how jaded I was after just one season of the show. I knew that they were never going to give me a character that was supposed to be a likable Black woman for longer than an episode. I knew that if we're going to get a Black woman on the show, she would be what they consider to be the unlikable Negress. And um, like Alex said, she's actually quite a likable character. But I actually think Angie's a character that's only likable to other Black women. And that's fair. They do give her her own sort of episode um, in her and people in her circle because she does this sort of Real Housewives show mm-hmm. called Queen of Jordan that uh, centers her. And some of the jokes are clever, um, but even her interactions like outside when she she outside of that are actually really great. Um, there is an episode where. Tracy's like, quote unquote, went off to Africa or like done something. He's gone. And Liz goes to, to Andrew and she's like, you have to convince Tracy to come back. Like he needs to come back. Like I did like, it's your job as his. And she's like, it's not my job to do anything. He's a grown man. He wanted, he decided he needed, he wanted to leave. That is his business you need to go do whatever you need to do and sort that out. But I don't have to do anything. You know what makes that episode super interesting? I think, I don't know, because I didn't look it up or anything like that. And I don't think that information would be out there, but I think that episode was based on Dave Chappelle leaving. I wrote and that, like, yeah, that people, in my notes. <laughs> and people and people trying to get him back. But yeah, I think Angie, like I said, she's a character that's likable to black women and I think she's supposed to be seen as someone who is difficult difficult to work with difficult to be around because she's her character is essentially the opposite of a twofer right I like the Angie character a lot I I think but I don't I don't even want to give the writers credit for Angie I think a lot of what makes Angie resonate for me as a black woman is is the the acting Um, you know, the way that Angie was acted, I think another actress might've handled the character in such a way that maybe she was a little bit annoying. I agree Um, with that. And I, I also don't want to give the writers any credit for, I think the relationship between Angie and Tracy, because we find out that like, even though Tracy sort of like that, they, first of all, like they, 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 he genuinely loves her and they love each other and he supports her. Like he, he, um, like for the, I think on the Queen of Jordan episode, he creates like fake drama around their relationship, um, and uh, like he and he creates fake drama for the show so that it'll get high ratings, so that she can continue to do the show, which is really sweet. And we find out throughout the course of the series that he's like as much as like Tracy like grandstands. He's never cheated on Angie. He's like I love my wife. Like he says it. He goes, "Oh, Jack, what am I going to do? Like I love my wife. Like I've never cheated on her. Like I don't know." Like um and I find that really sweet and like really endearing and I I like that and I'm I'm not giving any credit to them for that. Yeah, I, I agree. I think their relationship was probably the best part of the show because I I was really waiting for these people to sabotage Black love, and it didn't happen, and I was very pleasantly surprised. I was pleasantly <laughs> surprised. So I want to ask you real quick. Think of the funniest episode of 30 Rock you've ever seen. Do you remember how many times you laughed during that episode? Like four or five. Like out loud. Okay. So I read an article where a blogger uh, apparently, like, counted the number of jokes on the show and averaged it to about 9.57 jokes per minute. I believe that. But, like, were they funny, though? Because I don't remember laughing that much. No, but, like, I mean, I I would say, like, whatever that blogger, that's really accurate. Because it's, like, I will say, like, that's, and I mean, I don't know if it's a credit to them, but, like, the jokes are consistent. Like, every single line, there's, like, some sort of turn. Every single, like, lick of dialogue, there's some sort of turn that that's happening. And then um, in the action, uh, it's also happening as well. So there are lots of jokes. But, like, are they funny? Like, no. Like, mm-hmm. I don't, like, like I said, the only times I laugh is, like, um... Like the, like, the physical gags. The physical comedy is probably the strongest element, of, to me, of 30 Rock. Yeah, I agree with that. And I also think that a lot of the these, like, supporting characters were actually incredibly interesting. More interesting than a lot of the people in the principal cast. Which um, I don't think was intentional either. But it really helped me get through the show, that's for sure. No, absolutely. Like, had it, like... I don't know that I could get through even three episodes without Kenneth.com or Grizz. Yeah, I agree with that. I fully, completely agree with that. Um, And uh, it's sad that that's the case, right? Like, it's really sad that that's the case. But um, I don't, not only do I not think that we were 30 Rock's target demographic, I also think that 30 Rock didn't care about how it came off to people outside the demographic. Cause it's one thing to cater to a specific demographic in a specific niche. Um, Amy Sherman Palladino does this, um, especially with like Gilmore girls that we've, you know, we reviewed two seasons ago. Right. But like when you are writing dialogue at the expense of excluded, um, groups or making, um, characters of color on your show or lgbtqia uh, characters um a reference for jokes you clearly don't care right you don't care and it's shown it's shown in the and even the situations there's so many cringe things like like the dave Chappelle thing there's also something frank frank is the guy the white guy with the the trucker hat okay Um, yeah there's a storyline, an episode in season five where he's essentially reunited with like his rapist, which is awkward and it's framed as like a love story. That's horrible. Um, that was probably the most disgusting thing the show had ever done. <laughs> ever done. Um, that sucks. There's you know, all of Tina Fey's like racism that she wants to be like, um coddled about there is this episode season four episode 13 In the ending credits there's like a bunch of white men who are like pretending to be jamaican nurses oh my god which is like (laughs) yes so fucking cringe i was like wait i just i just don't know i don't know i don't know like I don't know what goes on in a person's mind to think any of these jokes are appropriate. And I understand the appeal of inappropriate humor. Um, however, um, inappropriate doesn't necessarily have to be like blatantly offensive. Right. Like there has to be. And I think, and listen, people, I I mean like so many women, so many black women have like already made this point 20 billion times, but like, here we go again. You can have offensive humor, but that, whatever the turn is in that joke has to punch up it just has to it cannot just be offensive for the sake of offensive or shocking cuz that's just that's just further dehumanizing and delegitimizing the frustrations and the experiences of marginalized people and 30 Rock, like, honestly, almost all white-centric comedies that I've ever seen, whether they be stand-up or sitcoms or sketch comedy, really does take the easy easy way out, and it punches down consistently. And 30 Rock does do that. It punches down consistently. I feel like the show could have been much better than it was, but I think we are the ones in the right perspective the right frame of reference to even see that right i don't think a lot of people that the, the the target demographic for this show sees the ways in th- which this show is lacking or the way that it failed and how terribly it's going to age right this is a show that like in 30 years we're all going to be like wow like we're gonna we're gonna do the tvd thing and we're gonna be like wow how did this even get to air like yeah, I mean, how I'm doing it now, we're ahead of the curve, you guys. We're we're setting the trend. <laughs> we're setting the trend. Um I don't think this is a this this is not a show that holds up. I mean, even like um even going back like low key to Angie's character when uh in terms of like how we've already talked about Angie's always framed as like this person who's super unreasonable, there is this episode where it's a Queen of Jordan episode and Liz is like trying to be like yo what's up homie and Angie just looks at her and she goes don't do impressions of other races <laughs> yeah. um and and Liz is like ah, like she, like no one's ever told her that before or like oh gosh you didn't need to like embarrass me like that or something and it's like yikes I mean, white womanhood is such an incredibly coddled place to be because, on one hand, you're facing very real gender discrimination, but on the other hand, you're using that very real gender discrimination to shield yourself from the accountability of the very real racism that you're engaging in with your white male counterparts, right? Right. Every time Liz gets called out on some shit, even if she doesn't, like, quickly defer to her womanhood you see her partaking in these you know um white woman antics um not looking ashamed or embarrassed but like hurt at being called out right she wants like an A for effort right and like when it comes to how you treat other people it's actually not the thought that counts it's the action that counts (laughs) (laughs) but yeah um girl i have said all i have to say about these people know, you want to so add like, anything else <laughs> so so with that how are we so in 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 wrapping this up good bad basic 30 rock m very bad very basic yeah i would just say it's like i want to be like oh like i hate that like in my mind i'm like well white people just can't do any better because i'm like no like as a because I guess, like, the writer part of me is, like, no, as, like, a writer, you want to do better. You want to reach higher. You want to strive. You want to build. But I also know that's, like, that's fake. Right. And, like, they, I mean, the only thing that keeps the show from being, like, completely terrible to me, as I've said before, are characters like, you know, Jenna and Kenneth and Angie. And I really love the the Tracy character as well. Um, But I feel like the times when they really get to shine are just too few for me. Same. And I think that's what, so I think in that, for me, it makes it, it's, it's on the, it's, it's bad and basic for me. Yeah. Same. Same. And I wish it could be better. And y'all had 138 episodes to turn this shit around and that this boat just kept on sinking. Lower. Lower. Oh, well. (laughs) And there you have it, folks. This is everything that we think made 30 Rock good, bad, and basic. If you'd like to check 30 Rock out, the complete series is currently streaming over on Hulu. If you're a patron on our top two tiers, be sure to check out the 30 Rock Spotify playlist. If you've enjoyed this episode of The Good, The Bad, The Basic, leave us a comment below and share with your friends. Join us next week when we'll be wrapping up Season 4, Lights, Camera, Action, with a recap of the Lifetime slash Hulu dating reality show drama, Unreal. The series is currently streaming on Hulu if you'd like to check it out or refresh your memory before then. In the meantime, all of our patrons can check out our Season 2 review of the hit Netflix psychological drama, You. This bonus episode goes live this Saturday, so make sure you're all caught up. Follow The Good, The Bad, The Basic on all major podcast platforms to listen to our regular weekly episodes on the go. Leave us a review on your preferred platform and share our weekly episodes with your friends. Also, be sure to follow our SoundCloud page, The Good, The Bad, The Basic. If you love this sort of content and want more, become a show producer and patron on Patreon. You can find us at patreon.com forward slash Basic. Your support allows us to keep bringing you our regular weekly episodes as well as exclusive bonus material until next time. Bye everyone.